0: Hello, and welcome to Broadband Conversations, the podcast where I get to talk to leading women from across the technology, innovation, and media industries, and you get to hear what they're working on, what's on their minds, and what they think is the next big thing. My name is Jessica Rosenworcel, and I'm a commissioner at the Federal Communications Commission, and today's guest is a total dynamo who I've had the privilege to spend some time with back home in California. You see, she's California Congresswoman Norma Torres. And people may not know this, but in addition to her duties on Capitol Hill, she is someone with a really unique background. She is the only former 911 dispatcher serving in Congress. Congresswoman, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much. This is so exciting for me to be on with you once again, uh, Jessica. It was so wonderful uh, to have you in California and visit with with you, my former 911 center. So I'm excited to be
0: on this podcast with you. Oh, fantastic. Um, And likewise, but here, let's just uh, roll things back a little bit Mm -hmm. and give me a sense of how you got to where you are today. What was your path to Washington?
1: Um, most people um, don't, you know, it's hard for them to believe that, this story, but how I, I got involved in politics was actually, you know, because of a 911 call that I took very, very early on in my career at LAPD as a 911 dispatcher. Um, this is a very tragic call where a little girl uh, died, uh, was murdered at the hands of her uncle. She was uh, shot five times point blank, and uh, unfortunately, I, you know, her murder uh, unfolded in my ears. I, I was the one that um, answered her call for help that night, and as tragic as as uh, her story uh, may sound, I think what it was most tragic for me and was very personal to me um, was the fact that she waited twenty minutes for me to answer the phone. Um, before we can send her help. And because of that uh, of that call, it really threw me into the limelight of a political world that I never wanted to be a part of and um, taught myself to lobby, you know, our local city council and, and work through the process of engaging uh, the command staff at LAPD to change the way we answer 911 calls to ensure that there was a priority system for uh, people that spoke a different language um, so that they could get immediate help and not have to wait uh, the way this little girl uh, waited for me. Um, That call resulted in me running for local office in my home city of Pomona, uh, eventually running for state office as a state assembly and then state senator. It took me 14 years, Jessica, to get to Congress, but here I am, and now I can make more changes to, uh, to help our first responders save more lives.
0: Oh, that sounds really good. I mean, most people don't think about 911, but that one time they might call it, it'll be the yeah. most important call they ever make. And I know, I think you spent 17 years as an operator. I, I'm just wondering if you could describe what a typical day is like. For someone who takes in nine one one calls,
1: you know, a, a typical day for a nine one one dispatcher. And you're correct, I did that for you know seventeen and a half years. Uh, for me, I, I I love I love the job. I love um, the excitement and the adrenaline of uh, of a good police pursuit or, or answering you know a call for help from the general public. <laughs> but it is uh, it is something that. Um, makes you very callous to, to emotion. Uh, it changes your personality and the way you think uh, about the world and, and how people could um, you know, hurt others and um, the violence that, that happens every single day all around us, that we are really not privy to that information. That comes out sometimes on TV or in the radio. We hear about it. As you a know, 911 dispatcher, you're intimately close to those uh, those callers. They're not dialing 911 because they're having a great day. It is possibly the worst day in their entire life. Uh, and you have to be prepared for anything and everything. From someone calling asking directions to Disneyland, to the next call being, you know, a shooting in progress. As the call that I took. Um, to a suicide caller, and, you know, suicide calls come in in many different ways. Um, Sometimes they're angry and they want someone to lash out, and, you know, from that perspective, then your priority is to keep them on the phone because while you're talking to them, they're not hurting each other possibly. Um, Other types of callers, they call in because they want you to send someone to pick up the body. They don't want their family member Um, to pick up, you know, to be the first to see that they have uh, killed themselves. So, you know, they dial 911, and the first thing that you hear or the only thing that you hear is a gunshot. Um, Those are very tragic moments for someone. And 911 dispatchers never get closure um, to the incidents that that they handle every single day. Um, I had a focal point. You know, for me, it was Kellogg Hill. And, and for those people that live in L.A. County or the Inland Empire, I'm pretty familiar with that. I knew that if I was going east, I had to be a different person. And if I was, you know, going west, uh, I had to put on this shield, um, a thicker skin to be able, you know, to handle those uh, types of, of, of collars that I, I have to deal with every single day.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a job with enormous pressure just to maintain this level of calm that you need in order to organize police and fire and emergency medical response. So you had this system of deciding how to manage yourself as you went east or west. What do most 911 dispatchers do to manage the pressure of the job?
1: Everybody has a different way uh, to deal with with their personal um, pressures, uh, depending on the types of calls, right? And um, we see it manifest in, in so many different ways from... From uh, uh, the uniforms that we wear, you know, at LAPD, we had a very difficult time getting uniform companies to contract with us because we were either size zero, you know, or or a pretty a pretty large size because we were either starving our way through our stress or eating our way through our stress. Um, in at LAPD, thank God that you know the department saw. That this was an issue for us, and we needed to do better by our personnel. Um, they developed a um, a program of uh, <clears throat> training the dispatchers uh, to be the counselors so that we could seek help from each other um, if we wanted needed somebody to talk to. We didn't have to go into a building classified as a Um, mental health, um, you know, type of building. We could, you know, go into a small office within the 911 center and um, participate in peer counseling with one of our colleagues.
0: Wow. Now, I know in addition to the emotional toll that the job can take, there are also challenges with technology. And I know during your time working in the Los Angeles Center, and then in the California State Legislature. You did some work to modernize the 911 system. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that, and also about the improvements you think technology will make and how we respond to public safety events in the future.
1: Absolutely. Um, for you know, for me, going back to the night um, when I answered Yahida's um, call for help, um, Yahida was the little girl uh, that was murdered. Um, The way we, the intake of 911 calls, um, the way it happened is if you dial 911, um, a dispatcher would answer the call, and uh, if you spoke um, Spanish, you got transferred to the Spanish line, and you just waited and waited and waited your turn until, you know, an operator was available to answer the call. Now, if you spoke English, um, obviously, you know, they would, the 911 dispatcher would have would um, have a couple of questions for you. If it was a true emergency, they would handle the call themselves. If it was a non-emergency call, then they would get transferred to a non-emergency dispatcher where they would, could wait until a dispatcher was available. <clears throat> I was able to get a $350,000 grant uh, from the L.A. City Council uh, to make some improvements to the, to the programming system um, the computer system that we were utilizing in order to prioritize those Spanish callers. Um, So they would automatically have um, a a dispatcher available. As soon as the call came in and got transferred into the Spanish line, there was someone available, readily available to take that call. If it was a non-emergency, then, you know, again, they would get transferred um, to wait for um, someone that would be available, you know, soon, um, but if it was a, an emergency, their call would get handled immediately. And I think um, something so simple like that we took for granted for many years. Um, technology is there and readily available for us, but if, if, if it's not available for the people that need it the most, and they can't help those customers or the people that we represent. Um, I can't imagine text to 911. I think it's good for certain populations um, that may not be able to speak um, what the issue is uh, in those situations. I think, you know, it is, it is a good option for them to utilize. But I have to also uh, caution callers that if it is a, a crime in progress Um, That 911 call is your only witness to what is happening, and while we may not be able to see it, we can hear it. Uh, We can hear people walking. We can hear if there's a weapon that is discharged. Uh, We can hear if people are talking, how many people are talking, and all of that information is critical for the officers that are responding to the crime scene. Um, If you choose to text to 911, then the dispatcher doesn't have that information. And if it ends up into um, a murder, let's say, um, there's nothing there to be used as evidence other than your text, what you wrote, what you were able to write. Um, so I would say call when you can, um, utilize that service um, when you can. Uh, if you absolutely cannot speak, then you know, resort to Um, utilizing the
0: text to
1: 911. I'm I'm, I'm very scared about video to 911,
0: though. Oh, my gosh, it's going to change everything. But I think the point you're making is that there's like this hierarchy now. We have so many ways to communicate. Yes. But you want to call first because there's a back and forth that's organic if you can. And if you can't, texting is available. But to prioritize, calling if you're capable. And in the future, of course, I think what you're starting to allude to is we're going to be able to send video of a fleeing suspect or or pictures of someone who's been injured. And I think that's an amazing reality in the digital world, and it's going to make us safer, but it is also going to impose a deeper burden on those who take our 911 calls as they sort all of that incoming information, uh, some of which is going to be extremely sensitive.
1: Absolutely, the trauma. Can you imagine? I know having to see, you know, gory scenes, uh, crime scenes, crime uh, in progress, uh, injuries, um, fatalities that happen. Um, I can't imagine my colleagues or my former colleagues having to work 8, 10, or 12 hours um, with that kind of, in that environment where there is no closure. So, um if we are moving forward and pressing, I know that there is a lot of excitement around video to 911. Um, I, I think that we can't walk away or, or turn away from the responsibility of caring for those workers. That will need uh, counseling. That will need um, some closure as to, you know, the the the, the pictures and. and um, that information that they will now be able to visually um, to see.
0: I agree. And, I, you know, you're describing this really serious job that you did for more than 17 years. I feel like it's making legislating on Capitol Hill sound easy. <laughs> yes. Um But I do want to it's, talk about legislation because you have some bipartisan <laughs> legislation you've been working on that's really well informed by your experiences but is an effort to try to give 911 operators the professional status they deserve. Because as you know, right now the Office of Management and Budget characterizes them as clerical workers. And what you're describing, just there's nothing about it that feels clerical. So I want you to talk a little bit about that legislation, because obviously it ref- you can reflect on your own experience, but where it stands and what might happen next.
1: I am. I'm really excited about uh, the 911 Saves Act. I am so excited that my colleagues, um, in a very bipartisan uh, way, are, are embracing uh, this um, idea of of uh, looking at this profession and finding ways to um, modernize uh, the system, not just you know, from the perspective of software and hardware, but from the human perspective also. And I think um, the first step to ensure that uh, 911 dispatchers get the proper training that they need is we need to recognize that they are not file clerks. They're not clerical staff. Um, They're not just call takers, you know, at at some, um, you know, office uh, type of environment. Um, these people are, you know, critical—a uh, critical part of our first responder community. You cannot get a fire truck, an ambulance, or a police officer at your door without first talking to someone. And uh, we want to make sure that that person that answers our call during our most vulnerable moments of our lives has the, you know, uh, the most training that they can possibly get. And that's where. Um, what, you know, this idea of, uh, of, of ensuring that they are reclassified um, to a classification that is more reflective of what their duties, their everyday duties, you know, are. And um, where the, this bill stands is uh, we're waiting, you know, it's, it's uh, members are signing on as co-authors at this point, and it will be taken up um, before a committee, um, you know, hopefully within the next couple of months, and um, from there we move forward. But I want to encourage people, um, especially the 911 dispatchers, to don't be shy about the work that you do. Share with your local community um, some stories about the calls that you take every single day. Um, the PSAPs out there, it is, you have a great opportunity uh, coming up in April during Telecommunicators Week. Utilize that time to embrace the media. Welcome them at your 911 center and show them that, you know, the face behind the voice um, of, of that caller or of that officer that is receiving orders from a dispatcher to respond to a call, an emergency call.
0: Yeah, what you're saying is so important. We sort of have to bring this community out of the shadows yes. and tell people what they're doing every day. And how over time, I mean, their work has become so integral to first responders and all of our public safety. And, you know, there's a lot that can divide us right now. But what I love about your legislation is it's really uniting people from all different corners of the country who are getting behind this idea that we have to give these professionals the dignity they deserve.
1: Absolutely, and uh, and it, they're taking it personal. Uh, you know, from from I was at a school uh, this morning, and the students there were asking about that, and I, I you know, I, I'm really happy that people are, are looking at it from a, per, a personal perspective. Is this is not just about you know the person that working at a 911 center. This is about me and the ability for me as a victim of a crime or a witness to a crime to be able to dial 911, and do I deserve to have a professional answering the phone on the other side, and to that, you know, what is the answer to that question? And I say absolutely yes. You know, you have a right to have, you know, the most professional person answering your call to help you through a very difficult time in your life, and one way that we can ensure they get the proper training that they need is by ensuring that their job classification is equal to a first responder, not an office secretary.
0: Oh, uh, you bet. You're going to have to keep us posted because, I don't know, I'm optimistic about this one. It's one of those things <laughs> that I, I think that it's within our power to change it, and I think it will make us all safer all across Absolutely. the country. And Thank
1: you so much for yeah. taking an interest and oh. in, being a champion on this. I know. And, Most of all, thank you for, you know, uh, coming to my 911 center. I was so excited uh, to walk through that and and tour that with you.
0: I know you walked (laughs) through that place like a boss. I mean, you walked in there like, I own this place, you know, and you had so many stories. (laughs) You had so many stories to tell. And what I particularly appreciated about the 911 center in Los Angeles that we visited is they had this sweet little museum of the technology and how it had changed over time and it really is dramatic. We can do so much more today to work with callers and learn about their locations and the dangers that they face with so much better equipment than existed, you know, just a few decades ago. It's really striking. I think we can do better still. We've got work to do when it comes to wireless phones and being able to locate every caller with pinpoint accuracy. So to me there's a lot of work to do on 911. But the dignity of those who answer the phones has got to be a part of that, too. So we don't have a lot of time left. And what I like to do is talk a little bit with everyone as a closeout with the same series of questions. And now they feel kind of mundane after everything we just talked about that involved life and death. But I'd love to know, what's the first thing Congresswoman Torres ever did on the Internet? (laughs) So...
1: When I bought my very first computer, it was, I think it was 1990, we bought our home, you know, PC.
0: Yeah, that was an investment. It was quite right? an investment.
1: Yes. <laughs> so we we managed to connect it and plug it in, you know, put it together, and we couldn't find the on button. And my <laughs> husband said, we, I know, he says well, if you can't find a on button, okay, well now, what are you going to do with this thing? I looked at him and I said, I'm going to rule the world.
0: Oh, I like <laughs> it. I like it. And look at that. And you weren't a member of Congress then, but you are now. There might have been truth in what you were proclaiming back in 1990.
1: <laughs> no, I I, you know, I, don't rule the world, but I, I, I certainly have influence in some part of it. And I feel really great about technology and, and what our... Our, our children have access to nowadays to be able to, you know, influence um, so many different things a- and, uh, and, and, know also, you know, what we have to teach them about proper uses and how, how to protect themselves because it really opened up a new world for us.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. okay. Even more mundane, like you've just got to tell me what's the last thing you just did on the internet, you know, online, <laughs> online shopping, um, <laughs> Uh, directions, weather, weather's always a good one. Anything I feel, else?
1: I feel really silly about this because I, I have a family of nurses. And I'm always surrounded by, you know, uh, these medical people in, in my family. And uh, on my way to the office, um, I, I was searching, you know, what is the you know, what are the common symptoms between bronchitis and pneumonia? <laughs>
0: Fair and enough,
1: it's, it's something so basic, I shouldn't know, right. No, are you kidding?
0: you know i'm I'm regularly looking up features of the common cold, so I totally yeah. totally understand that. but all right, let's right. let's go really big picture now and say, what do you want the future of the internet and digital life to look like?
1: Um, the future, I hope that we would have um, accessibility um, of the internet for you know everyone. Um, that every child um, has an opportunity uh, to be able to learn, um, you know, about the world and you know important things that they can learn on the internet. That it's available um, you know, currently. Depending on where you live, you may have access to a computer. You may have access to Internet. And I remember those days when I had to use the dial-up option and how long it took for me to access information uh, you know, from a, a home PC, but also the luxury of having that and having my children grow up with a computer in their home. Many kids that I represent currently do not have access to a computer at home and do not have that technology. And I think um, you know what the future really looks is that we would empower them um, to not only utilize it, you know, to educate themselves, but also uh, to ensure that we use it responsibly. Um, It could be used positively and negatively, and we have seen way too many incidents of. Um, hate groups gathering, you know, in chat, in internet chat groups to do um, really bad things around the world. And, and, and those are the things that we need to be made aware of. And I think children have a, as parents, we have a responsibility to our children to educate them on all that.
0: Yeah, no, I, as a mother, I agree. And also, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think we have work to do, but I have some confidence with People like you at the helm, we're going to be able to do it. So, <laughs> before we go, why don't you tell folks where they can keep up to date with you and what you're doing?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, uh, please, I would encourage everyone uh, to follow me on Twitter, uh, Norma J Torres. Uh, that's my uh, Twitter handle. It, it's you know it would be wonderful to um, to connect with people. Um, you can also go to my official website, uh, RepTorres.com, dot and um, and you know send me an email. Um, Today, this morning, I was at a school as a result of an eighth grader who logged on to the internet, went on to my official website, and sent an email asking me to come visit her in her classroom. And uh, I took the opportunity this morning to do that. That's how I started my day.
0: That's fantastic. I I love how the digital world breaks down these boundaries and, you know, you can reach out and you can make things happen. So good for that eighth grader, too and also make sure that people check out how the 911 saves law moves along because i think that there are great there's a great future for that this wraps up another episode of broadband conversations so thank you congresswoman torres for being here thank you of course also for the work you do and thanks to everyone for listening take care hello and welcome to broadband conversations the podcast where i get to talk to leading women from across the technology, innovation and media industries and you get to hear what they're working on, what's on their minds, and what they think is the next big thing. My name is Jessica Rosenworcel and i'm a commissioner at the Federal Communications Commission. And today's guest is a total dynamo who i've had the privilege to spend some time with back home in California. You see she's California Congresswoman Norma Torres. And people may not know this, but in addition to her duties on Capitol Hill, she is someone with a really unique background. She is the only former 911 dispatcher serving in Congress. Congresswoman, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much. This is so exciting for me to be on with you once again, uh, Jessica. It was so wonderful uh, to have you in California and visit with, with you, my former 911 center. so I'm excited to be on this podcast with
0: you. Oh, fantastic. Um, and likewise, but here, let's just uh, roll things back a little bit mm-hmm. and give me a sense of how you got to where you are today. What was your path to Washington?
1: Most people um, don't, you know, it's hard for them to believe this story, but how I I got involved in politics was actually, you know, because of a 911 call that I took very, very early on in my career at LAPD as a 911 dispatcher. Um, This is a very tragic call where a little girl uh, died, uh, was murdered at the hands of her uncle. She was uh, shot five times point blank, and uh, unfortunately, I, you know, her murder uh, unfolded in my ears. I, I was the one that um, answered her call for help that night. And as tragic as as uh, her story uh, may sound, I think what it was most tragic for me and was very personal to me um, was the fact that she waited twenty minutes for me to answer the phone. Um, before we can send her help, and because of that, uh, of that call, it really threw me into the limelight of a political world that I never wanted to be a part of, and um, taught myself to lobby, you know, our local city council and, and work through the process of engaging uh, the command staff at LAPD to change the way we answered 911 calls to ensure that there was a priority system for uh, people that spoke a different language um, so that they could get immediate help and not have to wait uh, the way this little girl uh, waited for me. Um, That call resulted in me running for local office in my home city of Pomona, uh, eventually running for state office as a state assembly and then state senator. It took me 14 years, Jessica, to get to Congress, but here I am, and now I can make more changes to uh, to help our first responders save more lives.
0: Oh, that sounds really good. I mean, most people don't think about 911, but that one time they might call it, it'll be the yeah. most important call they ever make. And I know, I think you spent 17 years as an operator. I, I'm just wondering if you could describe what a typical day is like. For someone who takes in 911 calls,
1: you know, a a typical day for a 911 dispatcher, and you're correct, I did that for you know 17 and a half years. Uh, For me, I I I love I love the job. I love um, the excitement and the adrenaline of uh, of a good police pursuit or or answering you know a call for help from the general public. (laughs) But it is uh, it is something that. makes you very callous to, to emotion. Uh, it changes your personality and the way you think uh, about the world and, and how people could um, you know, hurt others and um, the violence that, that happens every single day all around us, that we are really not privy to that information that comes out sometimes on TV or in the radio, we hear about it. As you a know, 911 dispatcher, you're intimately close to those, uh, those callers. They're not dialing 911 because they're having a great day. It is possibly the worst day in their entire life. Uh, and you have to be prepared for anything and everything, from someone calling, asking directions to Disneyland, to the next call being you know, a shooting in progress, as the call that I took. Um, to a suicide caller, and you know suicide calls come in in many different ways. Um, sometimes they 're angry and they want someone to laugh out and you know from that perspective, then your priority is to keep them on the phone because while you 're talking to them they 're not hurting each other, possibly. Um, other types of callers they call in because they want you to send someone to pick up the body they don 't want their family member. Um, to pick up, you know, to be the first to see that they have uh, killed themselves. So, you know, they dial 911 and the first thing that you hear or the only thing that you hear is a gunshot. Um, Those are very tragic moments for someone. And 911 dispatchers never get closure um, to the incidents that that they handle every single day. Um, I had a focal point. You know, for me, it was Kellogg Hill. And and for those people that live in L.A. County or the Inland Empire, I'm pretty familiar with that. I knew that if I was going east, I had to be a different person. And if I was, you know, going west, uh, I had to put on this shield, um, a thicker skin to be able, you know, to handle those uh, types of of callers that I, I have to deal with every single day.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a job with enormous pressure just to maintain this level of calm that you need in order to organize police and fire and emergency medical response. So you had this system of deciding how to manage yourself as you went east or west. What do most 911 dispatchers do to manage the pressure of the job?
1: Everybody has a different way uh, to deal with with their personal um, pressures, uh, depending on the types of calls, right? And um, we see it manifest in, in so many different ways from... From uh, uh, the uniforms that they, we wear, you know, at LAPD, we had a very difficult time getting uniform companies to contract with us because we were either size zero, you know, or, or a pretty a pretty large size because we were either starving our way through our stress or eating our way through our stress. Um, in at LAPD, thank God that you know the department saw that this was an issue for us and we needed to do better by our personnel. Um, they developed a, um, a program of uh, <clears throat> training the dispatchers uh, to be the counselor so that we could seek help from each other um, if we wanted, needed somebody to talk to. We didn't have to go into a building classified as a um, mental health um, you know, type of building. We could you know, go into a small office within the 911 center and um, participate in peer counseling with one of our colleagues.
0: Wow. Now, I know in addition to the emotional toll that the job can take, there are also challenges with technology. And I know during your time working in the Los Angeles Center and then in the California State Legislature, you did some work to modernize the 911 system. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that, and also about the improvements you think technology will make, and how we respond to public safety events in the future.
1: Absolutely. Um, for you know, for me, going back to the night um, when I answered Yehida's um, call for help, um, Yehida was the little girl uh, that was murdered. Um, the way we, the intake of nine one one calls, um, the way it happened is if you dial nine one one. Um, a dispatcher would answer the call, and uh, if you spoke um, Spanish, you got transferred to the Spanish line, and you just waited and waited and waited your turn until you know an operator was available to answer the call. Now, if you spoke English, um, obviously you know they would. The 911 dispatcher would have would um, have a couple of questions for you. If it was a true emergency, they would handle the call themselves. If it was a non-emergency call, then they would get transferred to a non-emergency dispatcher, where they would could wait until a dispatcher was available. <clears throat> I was able to get a $350,000 grant uh, from the LA City Council uh, to make some improvements to the to the programming system, um, the computer system that we were utilizing, in order to prioritize those Spanish callers. Um, so. They would automatically have um, a a dispatcher available as soon as the call came in and got transferred into the Spanish line. There was someone available, readily available to take that call. If it was a non-emergency, then you know again they would get transferred um, to wait for an um, someone that would be available, you know, soon. Um, But if it was an emergency, their call would get handled immediately, and I think. Something so simple like that we took for granted for many years. Um, technology is there and is readily available for us, but if, if if it's not available for the people that need it the most, and they can't help those customers or the people that we represent. Um, I can't imagine text to 911. I think it's good for certain populations um, that may not be able to speak um, what the issue is. Uh, in those situations, I think, you know, it is it is a good option for them to utilize. But I have to also uh, caution callers that if it is a, a crime in progress, um, at that 911 call is your only witness to what is happening. And while we may not be able to see it, we can hear it. Uh, we can hear people walking. We can hear if there's a weapon that is discharged. Uh, We can hear if people are talking, how many people are talking and all of that information is critical for the officers that are responding to the crime scene. Um, If you choose to text to 911, then the dispatcher doesn't have that information. And if it ends up into um, a murder, let's say, There's nothing there to be used as evidence other than your text, what you wrote, what you were able to write. Um, So I would say call when you can, um, utilize that service um, when you can. Uh, If you absolutely cannot speak, then, you know, resort to um, utilizing the text in
0: 911.
1: Right. I'm I'm very scared about video to
0: 911, though. Oh, my gosh, it's going to change everything. But I think the point you're making is that there's, like, this hierarchy now. We have so many ways to communicate. Yes. But you want to call first because there's a back and forth that's organic if you can. And if you can't, texting is available. But to prioritize calling if you're capable. And in the future, of course, I think what you're starting to allude to is we're going to be able to send video of a fleeing suspect or... um, or pictures of someone who's been injured. And I think that's an amazing reality in the digital world, and it's gonna make us safer, but it is also going to impose a deeper burden on those who take our 911 calls as they sort all of that incoming information, uh, some of which is going to be extremely sensitive.
1: Absolutely, the trauma. Can you imagine? I know having to see, you know, gory scenes, uh, crime scenes, crime uh, in progress, uh, injuries, um, fatalities that happen. Um, I can't imagine my colleagues or my former colleagues having to work 8, 10, or 12 hours um, with that kind of, in that environment where there is no closure. So, um, if we are moving forward and pressing, I know that there is a lot of excitement around video 2911, um, I, I think that we can't walk away or, or turn away from the responsibility of caring for those workers. That will need uh, counseling, that will need um, some closure as to, you know, the, 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 the pictures and, and, um, that information that they will now be able to visually um, to see.
0: I agree. And, I, you know, you're describing this really serious job that you did for more than 17 years. I feel like it's making legislating on Capitol Hill sound easy. <laughs> yes. Um But I do want to it's, talk about legislation because you have some bipartisan <laughs> legislation you've been working on that's really well informed by your experiences but is an effort to try to give 911 operators the professional status they deserve. Because as you know, right now, the Office of Management and Budget characterizes them as clerical workers. And what you're describing, just there's nothing about it that feels clerical. So I want you to talk a little bit about that legislation because obviously it ref- you can reflect on your own experience, but where it stands and what might happen next.
1: I am. I'm really excited about uh, the 911 Safe Act. I am so excited that my colleagues, um, in a very bipartisan uh, way, are are embracing uh, this um, idea of of uh, looking at this profession and finding ways to um, modernize uh, the system, not just. You know, from the perspective of software and hardware, but from the human perspective also. And I think um, the first step to ensure that nine one one dispatchers get the proper training that they need is we need to recognize that they are not file clerks. They're not clerical staff. Um, they're not just call takers, you know at at some um, you know office uh, type of environment. Um, these people are, you know, critical—a uh, critical part of our first responder community. You cannot get a fire truck, an ambulance, or a police officer at your door without first talking to someone. And uh, we want to make sure that that person that answers our call during our most vulnerable moments of our lives has the, you know, uh, the most training that they can possibly get. And that's where. Um, what, you know, this idea of, uh, of, of ensuring that they are reclassified um, to a classification that is more reflective of what their duties, their everyday duties, you know, are. And um, where the, this bill stands is uh, we're waiting, you know, it's, it's uh, members are signing on as co-authors at this point, and it will be taken up um, before a committee, um, you know, hopefully within the next couple of months, and um, from there we move forward. But I want to encourage people, um, especially the 911 dispatchers, to don't be shy about the work that you do. Share with your local community um, some stories about the calls that you take every single day. Um, the peace apps out there, it is, you, you have a great opportunity uh, coming up in April during Telecommunicators Week. Utilize that time to embrace the media. Welcome them at your 911 center and show them that, you know, the face behind the voice um, of, of that caller or, or of that officer that is receiving orders from a dispatcher to respond to a call, an emergency call.
0: Yeah, what you're saying is so important. We sort of have to bring this community out of the shadows yes. and tell people what they're doing every day. And how over time, I mean, their work has become so integral to first responders and all of our public safety. And, you know, there's a lot that can divide us right now. But what I love about your legislation is it's really uniting people from all different corners of the country who are getting behind this idea that we have to give these professionals the dignity they deserve.
1: Absolutely. And, uh, and it, they're taking it personal, uh, you know, from, from, I was at a school uh, this morning and the students there were asking about that. And I, I you know, I, I'm really happy that people are, are looking at it from a, per, a personal perspective is this is not just about, you know, the person that working at a 911 center. This is about me and the ability for me as a victim of a crime or a witness to a crime, to be able to dial 911? And do I deserve to have a professional answering the phone on the other side? And to that, you know, what is the answer to that question? And I say absolutely yes. You know, you have a right to have, you know, the most professional person answering your call to help you through a very difficult time in your life. And one way that we can ensure they get the proper training that they need is by ensuring that they're job classification is equal to a first responder, not an office secretary.
0: Uh, you bet. You're going to have to keep us posted because, I don't know, I'm optimistic about this one. It's one of those things that I, I think that it's within our power to change it, and I think it will make us all safer all across Absolutely. the country. And Thank you
1: so much for yeah. taking an interest and for being a champion on this. I know. And, Most of all, thank you for, you know, uh, coming to my 911 center. I was so excited to walk through that and and tour that with you.
0: I know you walked (laughs) through that place like a boss. I mean, you walked in there like, I own this place, you know, and you had so many stories. You had so many stories to tell. And what I particularly appreciated about the 911 center in Los Angeles that we visited is they had this sweet little museum of the technology and how it had (laughs) changed over time and it really is dramatic. We can do so much more today to work with callers and learn about their locations and the dangers that they face with so much better equipment than existed, you know, just a few decades ago. It's really striking. I think we can do better still. We've got work to do when it comes to wireless phones and being able to locate every caller with pinpoint accuracy. So to me, there's a lot of work to do on 911. But the dignity of those who answer the phones has got to be a part of that, too. So we don't have a lot of time left. And what I like to do is talk a little bit with everyone as a closeout with the same series of questions. And now they feel kind of mundane after everything we just talked about that involved life and death. But I'd love to know, what's the first thing Congresswoman Torres ever did on the Internet?
1: (laughs) So, when I bought my very first computer, it was, I think it was 1990, we bought our home, you know, PC.
0: Yeah, that was an investment. It was quite right? an investment.
1: Yes. So we we managed to connect it and plug it in, you know, put it together, and we couldn't find the on button. And my <laughs> husband said, we, I know, he says, well, if you can't find a on button, okay, well now, what are you going to do with this thing? I looked at him and I said, I'm going to rule the world. Oh,
0: I like <laughs> it. I like it. And look at that. And you weren't a member of Congress then, but you are now. There might have been truth in what you were proclaiming back in 1990.
1: <laughs> no, I I, you know, I don't rule the world, but I, I, I certainly have influence in some part of it. And I feel really great about technology and, and what our our, our children have access to nowadays to be able to, you know, influence, um, so many different things a, and, uh, and, and, you know, also, you know, what we have to teach them about proper uses and how, how to protect themselves because it really opened up a new world for us.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. okay. Even more mundane, like you've just got to tell me what's the last thing you just did on the internet, you know, online, <laughs> online shopping, um, shopping. <laughs> Uh, directions, weather, weather's always a good one. Anything I else? Feel,
1: I feel really silly about this because I I have a family of nurses. And I'm always surrounded by you know uh, these medical people in in my family. And uh, on my way to the office, um, I, I was searching, you know, what is the, you know, What are the common symptoms between bronchitis and pneumonia? <laughs>
0: Fair and enough, it's,
1: it's something so basic, I shouldn't know, right
0: No, are you kidding you know i'm I'm regularly looking up features of the common cold, so I totally yeah. totally understand that, but all right let's right. let's go really big picture now and say, what do you want the future of the internet and digital life to look like?
1: Um, the future, I hope that we would have um accessibility um, of the internet for you know everyone. Um, that every child um, has an opportunity uh, to be able to learn, um, you know, about the world and you know, important things that they can learn on the internet. That it's available um, you know, currently. Depending on where you live, you may have access to a computer. You may have access to Internet. And I remember those days when I had to use the dial-up option and how long it took for me to access information uh, you know, from a, a home PC, but also the luxury of having that and having my children grow up with a computer in their home. Many kids that I represent currently do not have access to a computer at home and do not have that technology. And I think um, you know what the future really looks is that we would empower them um, to not only utilize it, you know, to educate themselves, but also uh, to ensure that we use it responsibly. Um, It could be used positively and negatively, and we have seen way too many incidents of. Um, hate groups gathering, you know, in chat, in internet chat groups to do um, really bad things around the world. And and, and those are the things that we need to be made aware of. And I think children have a, as parents, we have a responsibility to our children to educate them on all that.
0: Yeah, no, I, as a mother, I agree. And also, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think we have work to do, but I have some confidence with People like you at the helm, we're going to be able to do it. So, <laughs> before we go, why don't you tell folks where they can keep up to date with you and what you're doing?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, uh, please, I would encourage everyone uh, to follow me on Twitter, uh, Norma J Torres. Uh, that's my uh, Twitter handle. It, it's you know it would be wonderful to um, to connect with people. Um, you can also go to my official website, uh, RepTorres.com, dot and um, and you know. Send me an email. Um, Today, this morning, I was at a school as a result of an eighth grader who logged on to the internet, went on to my official website, and sent an email asking me to come visit her in her classroom. And uh, I took the opportunity this morning to do that. That's how I started my day.
0: That's fantastic. I I love how the digital world breaks down these boundaries and, you know, you can reach out and you can make things happen. So good for that eighth grader, too and also make sure that people check out how the 911 saves law moves along because i think that there are great there's a great future for that this wraps up another episode of broadband conversations so thank you congresswoman torres for being here thank you of course also for the work you do and thanks to everyone for listening take care